That song makes me want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm also glad to see so many young folks up here. And, and, and you too, Joe. That includes you. <laughs> you too. He looks young. We continue our series today called Putting Faith into Practice. Uh, we are walking through the book of James this summer. And so if you have a Bible, open to James chapter 5. Or you can swipe there on your phones. James 5. Uh, a few of you may know that uh, Mike Heppola, our outreach pastor, was uh, scheduled to teach this message today, uh, but obviously I'm not Mike Heppola. Uh, this week, Mike got an infection and spent some time in the hospital, uh, but he is home now. He's recovering. Uh, he's on the mend, so uh, things are looking good, but uh, he's not here. So thankfully, he had already prepared a message that I just uh, reworked a little bit, so if you like it, it's from Mike. If you don't like it, it's from me. Um, but really, I pray that it's the Spirit of God that you hear from, not from me or Mike. Uh, the topic of today's message is wealth. And obviously, this is a, a challenging subject to deal with. So we want to pray that uh, we open ourselves up to hear what God has to say to us through his word. So let's just take a moment to pray. All right. Father, we do thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you chose us to be your children, that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, we want to open ourselves to whatever you want to say to us today. Father, we do pray for Mike, that you would heal his body and give him strength. Lord, we pray for our country we pray for those who've lost loved ones in our nation. We pray for our police. We pray for our first responders. But Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would be instruments of love and grace and truth in our country. Pray for Brookwood that we would show your love to our community. Lord, we pray that your spirit guide us now and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the book of James is primarily written to followers of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're still exploring that, uh, there's, these are pretty strong words that God has to say to, uh, to his children today. So I hope you'll hang in there and hear uh, what God expects of his followers, but also we hope that you'll hear how to find true life, real life, the life that is truly life. Uh, but let's look at James 5, starting with verse 1. It says, Look here, you rich people. That sounds good, doesn't it? Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Now, James obviously is addressing some rich people in this passage. Uh, I can imagine that some of you are already checking out saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm no rich person, so uh, I don't need to listen to this message today. Well, let me ask you, do you think that if you were in the top 25% of wage earners in the world, you think you could be considered in the rich? Top 25% would probably be considered rich when it comes to the rest of the world. Well, here's some stats. Now, I got these off the internet, so you may need to research for yourself. 
75% of the world lives on less than 9,000 a year. And some stats say that if you make more than 4,000 a year, you're in the top 25%. So I think that would include most of us here today. Now, there are varying statistics in the research out there, but uh, they say if you make over 25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of income earners in the world. So I would say there's, there's at least a few rich folks in here today. In fact, I would say most of us could probably be in that camp when we compare ourselves with the rest of the world. So what does James have to say, what does God have to say to us rich folks? He says, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Nice. Sounds very, uh, something we can look forward to. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Now, why would we weep and groan with anguish if we were rich? You know, we, we're all trying to, to, to earn some money, to have enough money to have food and to take care of ourselves and our families. So you would think that there would be blessings that come with being rich. I, I would think that most people would not associate troubles with having plenty, with being rich. But if we are counting on money or things or riches to give us real life, we're, we're going to end up disappointed. And there's going to come a time when we realize that those riches are powerless to bring us the true joy of life. And riches will certainly do us no good when it comes to the time of our physical death. So when we put what we have Things of this world, money, riches, wealth, when we put that above our relationship with God, we are in for a heap of trouble. We are in for some disappointments. 1 Timothy 6 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, putting money above my relationship with God is the root of all evil. So what are some signs that we are putting our wealth or our money or our stuff, what are some signs that we're putting that above our relationship with God, our faith in God? And so James here is about to give us some foolish uses of wealth, some indicators that we love money more than we love God, that we trust wealth more than we trust God. And so I want us all to hold the book of James up to ourselves like a mirror. Let's, let's let God speak into our lives because God really spoke to me as I went through this passage. James gives some of the troubles that we're going to experience if we put things of this world, our money, over our relationship with God. So here's some foolish uses of wealth. First one is hoarding it, hoarding it, getting all we can, canning all we get, sitting on the lid, get, getting everything we can, hoarding it. James 5 says this, verses 2 and 3, he says, your wealth is rotting away. Here's some of the troubles coming for you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. 
your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. So there's some pretty strong language to the rich here. So if you're counting on money or things to take care of you, you'll be disappointed. your, your, Your stuff is gonna rot away. Anybody here have clothes in your closet that that have holes in them? Yes, yes. Kind of threadbare, those shirts, T-shirts that are threadbare, just barely hanging on you. Those are some of my favorite shirts. I think I have some kind of cloth-eating bacteria on my skin that just wears through my shirts, or maybe it's the fact that they're 20 years old. I don't know. Anybody have some of those in your closet? Testify. Your men are raising their hands up high. Does your wife try to throw those away? Use them for dust rags. Like my, fa- I-, I took twenty years to get the shirt like this. Our, our clothes rot away. We've we've all seen it. The, the, we can't depend on that. These these clothes we spent money on that we wanted the nicest, finest fashion. It's just going to rot away. We can all accept that our stuff rots away. And if we depend on that stuff to bring us happiness, we'll find that happiness running out. He goes on to say, the very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. It'll eat away your flesh like fire. Now, what does that mean? I think I felt it a few weeks ago. I I think if we count on our money for our security, it will make us physically sick at the threat of losing it. We can so easily lose it. A few weeks ago, I, I felt that, that feeling of sickness because of money. My, my dad is in a nursing home. He's got Alzheimer's, lives in Louisiana. I'm trying to help my mom with finances. She's never dealt with the finances. And so I'm trying to help her. And we had some miscommunication over a life insurance policy on my dad. And I think we're going to lose that policy. A lot, lot of money is going to go out the window. And it's my fault. And in recognizing that situation and trying to handle all the details and trying to get the insurance company to reinstate that policy, I was, I was feeling physically sick. My stomach was sick. And I just stopped and asked God, God, what do you want me to know here? What do you want me to do here? And I just got this sense God was saying, I'm going to take care of your parents. I'm going to take care of you. That money is not your security. I am your security. I will take care of you. And then I sensed that money was probably going to go to you and your brother anyway. And I'm going to take care of you. And I just got this sense of peace. But there was a few, a few moments, uh, truthfully a couple of hours, where I was literally getting sick over it. If you put your trust in money to take care of you, In this life, it'll make you physically sick because you just can't depend on it. We cannot place our dependence on money or wealth and retain our joy. It'll suck the life out of us. And then James says this. He says, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. And I thought, now where does that come from? 
how, how does hoarding a bunch of stuff speak against me in the day of judgment? Or even tends to say to me, even in eternity, it will speak against you. How, how does that make sense? And immediately I thought of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16 tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, There was a poor man named Lazarus who sat at the gate of a rich man. And he sat at the gate of this rich man's house, and this rich man would not even give him the crumbs from his table. Had all this stuff, poor man right there at the gate of his house, wouldn't give him anything. So in verse 22 of Luke 16, it says, Finally, the poor man died. Lazarus, the poor man, died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham to the good place, to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead, the bad place, hell, away from God. There in torment, the rich man saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the passage goes on to talk about the rich man crying out, to Abraham in torment. Can you imagine the thoughts, the tormented thoughts of this rich man in eternity? Tormented forever, recognizing I put all my hope in this stuff and it's doing me not a bit of good now. Tormented forever. Look where it's gotten me. Realizing his trust and wealth did him no good. Money's like food. It is to be used. We should save some for a little while, but when food sits around a few days, it spoils. Some of us have created new life forms by letting food sit around. We're to use the wealth God has given us to help others and to further his kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 12, 21, he said, yes, a person is a fool To store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So when we think about what to save, let's first ask God, what do you want me to do with this money? Rather than hoarding it for our own pleasure or for our own security. So the question to ask, the question I ask myself is, what reason am I saving money? Am I putting away so much that I neglect to help others around me? How am I using what God has given me to serve others and to serve his kingdom? Is this stuff really bringing me joy? Does it really bring me life? This leads us to the next misuse of wealth found in James 5 verse 4. It says, For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. So the second misuse of wealth is stealing it, stealing it. This verse is talking about employers who cheat their employees of fair wages. We might think of stealing as stealing goods from a store or stealing something that we don't own. But there are other ways of stealing, like not paying employees a fair wage. Ask God to show you, is there a way that I'm stealing? Maybe charging more for a product than it's really worth. Maybe selling a possession, a used car, or 
house without disclosing all the repairs that need to be made, cheating on my taxes, wasting a lot of my work time on social media or on office conversations, taking supplies from work to stock in my home. We want stuff so badly that we are willing to cheat others in order to have it. Now remember, James is talking to followers of Christ here. He's talking to us. Do we steal from God? Now, how could we steal from God? Well, let's, I want us to look at a, a, a passage in Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's page 768 in this Bible. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Page 768. Last, verse in the, the last chapter in the Old Testament. Or next to last chapter, last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Again, uh, it's his Old Testament. He's talking to the people of God here. He said, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour, it out, pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. One of the few times in the Bible, maybe the only time, that God says, put me to the test. Try me on this. He says, give your tithes and offerings. You're robbing me of the tithes and offerings that you should give me. A tithe is 10% of my income. And he's saying that he expects us to give 10% so there will be food in his temple. So there will be enough food to help others. The church is the modern day version of the temple. And he says, watch to see if I don't take care of you so well even if you give this amount away to his church. Show that you trust God by giving away a portion of what he's given you. Now sometimes we say, you know, that's Old Testament. It doesn't really apply to us today, you know, to give a tithe. And, and truthfully, everything we own belongs to God. So uh, for some, you know, he may want us to give more than a tithe, more than 10%. But Jesus did affirm that giving of 10%. Jesus kind of looked at the other side because there were religious leaders in Jesus' day who gave 10% of every little bit that they earned, but they forgot to be kind to others and to take care of people who needed help. And so Jesus said in, uh, let's see, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 23, speaking to these religious leaders, he said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And Jesus says, you should tithe. Yes, you should give that 10%. But do not neglect the more important things. So as we give to God, God is saying, give out of your relationship with me. Give out of your love for me. And as you give, remember to give out of a motive to 
not only give to God, but to help others, to serve his kingdom, not just out of a religious duty. So how are we stealing from others? Ask God to show you. How are you cheating God? How are we stealing from him? Another misuse of wealth, number three, is wasting it. Wasting it. Verse 5, James 5, verse 5. We're back in James. He says, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Now let that sink in a little bit. And think, God, are you speaking to me? You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fatten yourselves for the day of slaughter. One of the great temptations we have in America is to purchase items that we don't need just because we have the money. And some of us, many of us, it's a temptation to buy items on credit even when we don't have the money. We just see something we want, even if I don't have the money, just whip out that card and let's get it. It's a temptation in our culture. Just because we have the money, or just because we have access to the money, doesn't mean it's something we ought to buy. Another key here is let's ask God before we make that purchase. The more money we have, it's just a fact, the more money we have, the more we are tempted to accumulate. So before you make that purchase, just ask God, do you want me to buy this? How do you want me to use this purchase? It's okay to ask God about everything, every moment. Ask him about every purchase. God, what do you want me to do here? I'm trusting you first for what you want me to do. Next misuse of wealth, number four, is abusing it. Abusing it. James 5, verse 6. This is a verse, at first I had a hard time thinking, how does this apply to me? Verse 6 of James 5 says, You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Remember he started off saying, look here you rich people. That includes all of us, top 25% in the world, income earners. Some of us top 10%. It includes us. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, how does that apply to me? That was certainly an abuse of wealth to to use the power of wealth to pay off judges and do what they wanted in the time of this writing. But how does that apply to me? And so I, I ask God, how does this apply to me? What do you have to say to me? What do you have to say to us through this verse? You've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. And this is... This is what I sensed from God. This is what he said to me. It's like he was saying, you have gone so far to trust in your money that you actually let others suffer and die in order to preserve yourself. I'm going to read this again because it was significant to me. You have gone so far to trust in your money that you actually let others suffer and die. And suffer and die apart from Christ in order to preserve yourself. So I had to ask myself the question and ask all of us the question. Are there others suffering and dying because 
we abuse our money. Because we use it frivolously on ourselves. And I can tell you there, there are. There are children suffering in slavery in India. Some dying who would benefit if we would hold off on a frivolous purchase and make a gift to Brookwood or sponsor a child through Set Free Alliance. There are people who come to our care department with great needs who would benefit by your gift to Brookwood. And I'm not looking for just a gift to Brookwood. I'm looking for us to give. I believe God wants us to give to serve his kingdom, whatever ministry that is. There are people who are homeless who would benefit by your gift to Miracle Hill in our community or to Triune Mercy Center or to God's Pantry. There are people without clean water in Peru, in Sierra Leone, Liberia, many whom die of waterborne diseases who would benefit by having clean water and being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because of your gift to Brookwood or to organizations like Water of Life, another ministry we support. There are people in Utah, Salt Lake City, one of the lowest percentage of Christians in America, that because of your gifts to Brookwood, they are hearing the good news of Jesus through David and Rhonda Edmonds, who we support, who came out of this church, who are part of this church. I think David is, there's their family. David's sitting right over here. Their family just happened to be here this weekend. David, won't you stand up? Is your family with you? Yes, he's got all those kids, and Rhonda are over there. Yes, Rhonda's coming in. She's, bring those kids in here. Um, they are serving in Salt Lake City, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're going to be over here um, to, to your right in front of the, the, that section of the stage after the service if you want to talk with them about the, the work they're doing in Salt Lake City to share the good news of Christ. So am I, am I abusing what God has given me by holding on to it when others are suffering and dying without Christ? Around 25% of every dollar given to Brookwood goes to help ministries outside of our church, locally and globally. I tell, the reason I tell you that is just to assure you that a big chunk of what you give here is going around the world. To share the gospel. I know we squeeze our spending tremendously in order to, to be able to give that much away. And so I have to ask myself, am I abusing what God has given me? There, there are so many good ministries who are helping people that would benefit by your gift to that ministry if we avoided that frivolous purchase. So let's ask ourselves, and I'll ask myself, am I abusing what God's given me? Will I use money to save someone's life and to help them hear about Jesus? Or will I use it to give myself a few moments of pleasure? These are tough questions of life. This is, this is a tough passage. Thank you, Lord, for arranging it for me to be here. I'm not thrilled about sharing this message with you, but I am thrilled for what God is doing in me because I took the time to dig into it. Let's, let's dig into what does God have to say to us about what he wants us to do with our money. So James lays out some misuses of wealth, hoarding it, 
stealing it, wasting it, abusing it. Maybe God is showing us how we're misusing it. But there's also some wise uses of wealth in the Bible. I'm going to look at Proverbs for a moment to help us with that. Some wise uses of wealth. First one is to earn it honestly. Earn it honestly. I'm going to go through these wise uses of wealth quickly. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Earn it honestly through hard work. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Work as if you're working for the Lord. So how much work and how much wealth is enough? We should work hard. We should earn money. We should take care of our family. But how much is enough? What are some guidelines that can help us when we're earning wealth? Well, there's four principles I want to share with you. Earning wealth should not harm your health. Earning wealth should not harm your health. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Some people work themselves to death. So health takes priority over wealth. Second, earning wealth should not harm your family. Should not harm your family. Kids need parents. They don't need things. They need your time more than your money. Family takes priority over wealth. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. It's talking about more than just providing for them physically. Provide for them with your time, with yourself. Third, earning wealth should not harm other people. Should not harm other people. Proverbs 16, 8 says, Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. We don't want to earn wealth at the expense of hurting other people. And fourth, earning wealth should not harm your relationship with God. Our relationship with God must come first. We read the verse before, Luke 12, that Jesus spoke. Luke 12, 21, Jesus said, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Relationship with God takes priority over wealth. So we should earn it honestly. Second, we should save it faithfully. A wise use of wealth, number two, save it faithfully. So we're not to hoard, but we are to save. It is a biblical principle. Proverbs 30, verse 24 and 25. says, there are four things on earth that are small but unusually wise. One is ants. They aren't strong, but they store up food all summer. It is wise to save, similar to the way we save food not to save for something that's going to last forever but save for a time of need so how do we save in order to learn how to save we need to, to do two things one learn to live on a margin live on a margin which means spend less than you take in spend less than you take in we try to live with that principle uh, as a church we try to spend less than we take in and second, learn to be content. Learn to be content. We don't always need the latest or the best 
the nicest fashion. We don't always need to update our clothes or our cars. Learn to be content. In our culture, the purpose of saving is for security, so that I will be secure. We think if I could just save enough money, then I'll be taken care of. We don't put our security in our wealth. As followers of Christ, our security is in God who gives and takes away. We trust him. We trust what he brings us. So why do we save? We save to take care of our family. We save to help others, to serve the kingdom of God. We don't have a lot of money in the bank at Brookwood. We don't don't try to keep a whole lot of money. But we do save a little bit. Because we have some money in savings, when the floods happened in West Virginia recently, uh, we had a small group that was getting ready to go on a mission trip. We had some money that we could give to that group to, uh, to go to West Virginia and have, buy some supplies for them. Uh, because we had a little money in the bank, we were able to help a disaster relief team that's leaving today go to West Virginia to help out. So we save a little bit, but we don't hoard. There's a balance there. We save to take care of our family, help others, serve the kingdom of God. Third wise use of wealth is to spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Hasty spending is like that impulse buying. It's easier to spend it that it is to earn it. So where can I get some help with spending wisely? Well, there's a a resource we use in our church called Financial Peace University. It's uh, by Dave Ramsey. Uh, It's a class that just helps you with how to spend based on biblical principles. And we started a class just this week. We'll be starting another one in September. If you want to know more about that class, you can go to brookwoodchurch.org slash classes. Financial Peace University to help you spend wisely. And then finally, I think uh, the wise use of wealth that is the antidote to foolish uses of wealth is to give it generously. Give it generously. The book of Proverbs also talks about that. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Now, that doesn't sound like it makes sense does it give freely and become more wealthy be stingy and lose everything the generous will prosper those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed as you give it away God takes care of you to live abundantly To live with peace and joy, to experience true life, we must give abundantly. To live abundantly, we must give abundantly. 1 Timothy 6, I referred to that earlier. In that chapter, it talks about how the love of money is the root of all evil. But then it goes on to say, to us rich folks, how can we combat the temptation to put our hope and money because it is a temptation. What can we do to combat that? So 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. This is a good verse to write down and look at, look at later. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says, teach those who are rich in this world 
that's most of us, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God gives us all we need. Verse 18, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, treasure in heaven, so that they may experience true life. Do you want to experience true life? transforming life to really live now and to really live forever with God in eternity. What are some great steps to take to experience that true life? He says, by being rich in good works and generous to those in need, we will decrease our trust in money. We will increase our trust in God as we give some of it away. The question is, do you believe God and his word? Do you trust God to take care of you? What step will you take to experience real life today? A practical step is to give to help somebody else, to give to serve the kingdom of God, give to your church, give to a ministry, I hope you'll spend at least a few moments this week to set aside a little time to do the soul training this week. On your, on your brochure, the soul training is on the back of the discussion guide. The soul training says, I hope you'll take a moment to do this this week. Ask God to reveal ways that you can use your wealth to help others in God's kingdom and practice one of them this week. Just ask God, God show me. Just take a moment, ask God, and then listen. Have a, a little, little time of silence. God, how can I serve others or your kingdom this week with the wealth you've given me? Take a step to trust God more than your money so that you will experience true life. If you want to talk with someone today about how to have a relationship with God, or if you just want somebody to pray with you, we're going to have counselors down front after the service. We'll also have some in the care connection room out in the concourse. Be sure and talk with somebody today if you, if you need prayer. Also, I want to remind you, um, be sure and take the opportunity to meet one of our mission partners today. We're blessed to have two of them today, actually four of them. Julio and Yola from Peru will be out at Ministry Spotlight. Uh, David and Rhonda Edmonds will be over here uh, in front of the stage. Take a moment to speak to them or just to say thank you to them to hear about the work God's doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can trust you for everything we need. Your grace is sufficient. Your love is sufficient. And so for for those of us, Lord, who, who have a tendency to put our trust in wealth or in things, Lord, give us the courage to trust you. And we thank you for the life that you give. We thank you for what comes with trusting you, life now and forever. 
And so we praise you and thank you for being able to be your children. We look forward to what you'll do in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming.